0: hey yo kina, what are we doing here
1: what <laughs> what are we doing here oh we're divesting from whiteness no, 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 no. so i am thrilled to share with you episode five of the divesting from whiteness podcast and in true kina fashion I am ecstatic about the person that I am having a conversation with. It is my friend, Carissa. And while I am super pleased with the conversation we had and all the different levels of depth we reached in our conversation, I do feel really excited about the fact that we got through the conversation simply because we had such a great time laughing and crying and having all the feels that two Black women can have together in in one space. So I really think that this episode was born out of mutual intimacy and trust. And I appreciate that Carissa was able to be so vulnerable and open with me and the listeners as it relates to being someone of a mixed race identity. And so not only mixed race, but also mixed ethnic identity as well. And so Carissa does such a great job of really laying out for us what that experience has been like throughout her life and what it means to walk through the world where, multiple boxes have to be checked, and I am so thankful to her for that. I think that this episode will be so impactful for all of us who are not only just navigating race and ethnicity, but for all of us who sometimes feel like we're being asked to check boxes that don't necessarily fit us all the time. Rather, that's in relationship to our economic status, our education, whatever it may be, as those of us start to expand our imaginations and um, really kind of reflect on what a decolonized world looks like, this episode is so helpful in helping us navigate that. So look forward to seeing you on the other side. Once you change your thought pattern, you change your, your attitude. But you change your attitude it changes your behavior pattern
2: and then you're going into some action as long as you got a sit-down philosophy you'll have a sit-down
1: thought pattern and as long as you think that old sit-down thought you'll be uh, in some kind of sit-down action
2: they'll have you sitting in everywhere Break the chain, break the chain, break the chains I've been trying to find a way to break the chains Say it, it be strange, it be strange, it be strange I've been trying to find a way to make the chains Break the chain, break the chain, break the chains I've been trying to find a way to break the chains
1: You know, again, we tend to be very tangential. I'm going to work really hard to keep my podcast hat on today to keep us on the straight and narrow path. So Carissa is from Carissa Explains It All. And I don't even know how to describe the multifaceted subject expertise Pop culture, science, analytical, anthropological. I'm making up words to describe (laughs) your brain that you bring to the world we live in. But I connected with Carissa on a live. And after the live conversation, I was like, hey, so how do I make this person become my friend? And I think I, I slid in your inbox. Did I slid
2: you in your DMs? You <laughs>
1: I slid in your DMs. And I was like, hey, girl, we, you wanna be my friend?
0: <laughs> you sure but, did. i was like, oh, I just saw her on my,
1: I think she was a person that was on my live. Or my, but you know what I mean. also, to be fair. So I think for the funny part of the story, what I'm gonna add is that in the live, initially, I was like, who's this white woman, right? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm going to be honest, y'all, when I see white women, especially in justice the spaces, I be like, huh, what's she doing? So I was like, who's this white woman? Mm-hmm. And then, then I don't know what made, if it was in the live where I realized that you weren't a white person or if it was in the DMs. But either way it goes, that was actually my first thought. So my first thought when I saw yeah. this was like, who this white woman? And then my second and third thought was like, oh my gosh, she's so du- dope. How can we be friends? And so that's kind of like the trajectory. I also, think that's a, I wanna-
0: for a lot of people too, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, you know, I've gotten a lot of those questions. So, you know, I just want you to say you are not alone.
1: <laughs> like, what does it mean to be someone that people be like, hmm, I don't know how mm-hmm. to place mm-hmm. her. Can I say the N-word around her or is she going to try to sell me car insurance? <laughs> oh, <for laughs> me, hey,
0: Tina, it's, it's an honor to be here. Obviously, like we've been we've been talking about doing this
1: for a very long time, for a
0: very long time. So to see it come full circle and actually getting it off, it's just, I, I just feel really blessed by this. So and I'll say this. So the terminology that I used is I am white assumed. Um, and I think, um, the words that you use to identify yourself is really important. I think in the past, I absolutely was white passing, which means that there was an active part in my own identity that I wanted to pass. And I, and I believe, um, when I, um, when I am using the word white passing, and this is the way that I, I am, I, um using the terminology, is that there is an active role that is being done by the person to be um, adjacent to whiteness and to pass. And so at this point in my life, I have come to a place where I am often white assumed, which is people look at me, they look at my skin color, they look at a lot of times if I have um, switched it up a little bit, and I'm not speaking in my own vernacular um those are things that says signals to them I must be white
1: mm. and, and so basically you gotta mm-hmm. walk around with some gold like door knockers every now and again when you gotta be like look don't get it twisted
0: yeah but it's a two it's a double-edged story because like there are some times where I was like do I need to go incognito right now
1: where like I can <laughs>
0: not what the person wants to say for real you know
1: we gotta go no stop right there we're gonna come back to incognito we are coming back to that but let me ask you the check-in question because see that's <laughs> what i'm saying i knew we were just gonna get all over into the pot real fast <laughs> so here at for whiteness we say context meets everything so what is shaping your life the most today
0: today i think the thing that is shaping the my life the most today is what does it mean to authentically um, walk into, represent um, anti-racism in a way that is not harmful to my own community, but is also uplifting and centering um, the black marginalized voices that uh, we have lost context from after the wake, of um, 2020 um, racial reckoning that was happening. And so what is it my role right now to do in a way that recenters the conversation and um, allows it to continue to flourish?
1: I hear that sis, I hear that sis. I wanna tell our listeners that this conversation is gonna be messy. And when I say messy, it's because I think that there's gonna be a lot of places in this conversation where we're gonna muddle lines we're not Uh going to make distinctions. And for some people, that's really hard, right? Because when we grow up where, with this kind of like the binary systems, when we grow up thinking things are either or, you know, left or right, it helps us make sense of things. And so I want to let listeners know there's a lot of muddying the waters, and that's on purpose, right? But I think this is what makes me the most, both excited about this conversation and equally apprehensive because I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's going to be so many places where like the reckoning that we do and a lot of the conversations Carissa and I have are like, I'm trying to figure it out. That's what I'm saying. Like in some ways if we could record all our conversations and create like a book of theory, right? Cause so much of what we do, I think together is theorizing um, and really figuring out like, what are these touch points? And when we are specifically talking about any kind of justice work, but in particular around racial justice work, I think people really want to bring that either or perspective Mm -hmm. because of things like the white black binary that exists. And really what we want to be able to always leave margin for is complicating things. Um, Because as as we attempt to eliminate anti-Blackness from the world, as we attempt to make sure that everyone has humanity, we're going to have to place less emphasis on this is how we see things and place more value on like what's becoming, what is new, or also like what's ancestral because some of this shit has existed, um, but then colonial projects took it away. You know? Mm-hmm.
2: That's right. So
1: let's start with Incognito, because that, is, <laughs> there's what? There, oh gosh, I can't think of the pop culture reference right now, but it's a movie or a TV show where the character's like, how black am I gonna have to get? <laughs> Shit, I don't know if it's Black Lady Sketch Show. That sounds oh, like a
0: black lady sketch show doesn't thing.
1: it sound Like a black sketch lady sketch show? like how black am I gonna have to get? Or because or or black AF. Yeah. I've never watched that, but I did. Because it's so funny, Carissa, because people think that black women black women and women ad- identifying people in particular, mm-hmm. they really think we're we got a permanent finger in the air,
2: mm-hmm. ready
1: to give people the business ready to give people attitudes but really it's actually the opposite i imagine that most of us every day are like i don't want to have to act a fool up in this store i don't want uh-huh. to have to give anybody the business right and so for me that whole like how black am i gonna have to get right like that is a version of i don't want to perform the thing you think that i want to do in the first yes, place yes
0: yes right
1: percent, hundred percent and so i feel like we collectively really like tamper that shit actually mm-hmm. and for as much as people like to think we're angry the world has not seen our aggression
0: no Mm-mm. <laughs> could but, you but, imagine I mean, how many times, how many times have you had a white friend tell you in a situation, you guys were both present in a situation where something happened and you didn't respond in the way that they thought that you were going to respond. And so they did, and they were doing the most, okay? And then they hit you with this. I'm more black than you.
1: Girl, I think the last time that shit happened, it was probably like undergrad. Cause I used to hang out with white people, heavy, heavy, heavy. Cause Mm -hmm. when I first started college, And let me also say this, every now and again, I feel like I have to just let the internet know, I actually have white people that I'm friends with and who I love. Because, you know, I have people say, do you hate white people? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, my soulmate is white. Shout out to my friend Megan, all right? But what I'm saying is, is yeah, I had friends who kind of looked at me like, are you going to do that Sinead thing? <laughs> thing? Are you going to do the thing? Oh, going to do the thing. <laughs> and what's interesting is there's this counterpart, right? Which, you know, I have set it off, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But I call that me using my internalized Karen, actually. I love that. I love that. It's kind of like when people
0: started saying that's so trailer park instead mm. of that's so ghetto because it's a hundred percent what it is. Like I wanna see the management.
1: Where's I need your- to get something I need to get something done. And I'm, so this is what I'm about to do. I'm gonna start using that. I love it because it's this
0: idea that aggression and displeasure can only come from black specifically back black women because black men are not categorized in the same way at all Mm-mm. right their aggression is very different mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Less- even though there's another conversation that you know for a di- we can table a different time about the the characterization of black women by black men and a lot of it centers around the angry and uh, the angry black woman
1: see we're gonna and have that, that conversation another place uh, another time uh, let me put a little a side note There
0: you go, right there.
1: So last summer, this is the last time I had to use my inner care. My family and I were traveling. I had booked a car reservation at, well, let me not say the place because I don't want to be sued, but a place where one can reserve cars. (laughs) (laughs) A generic place. A generic place that you could go you know to get a car and the woman for the sake of the story is a white woman who's like hey and I had called ahead of time make sure that I had lined up the t's and the q's Mm or everything I needed to bring do I need to bring six pieces of identification I had done all that shit in advance because I didn't want no static I don't want no static the flight came in at 10 o'clock at night I don't have time to be stuck at an airport Nope. Girl, when that white woman was like, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do for you. You can't blah, 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 blah. blah. I was like, "Huh? said, what? She, and then she was just like, yeah, we can't dismiss me my mom and I I hope my mom listens to this episode so she can laugh because my mom does this thing where she like internalizes like oh like a runaway slave right it's like don't let these white people see us in this place oh my oh my
0: there is this like nuanced power that I yield because a lot of times, uh, specifically in a space that is mostly, uh, or predominantly white, um, it's always interesting to see what white people are willing to say when they think they're only white people around. And that's what I mean by incog- like, because when you just wait, cause if you wait long enough, if you wait long enough, It always goes to race. It always goes there. A hundred percent. I have not found a time in which I was in, in the presence of a white circle, uh, in a professional setting that it did not end up going there. And then later on, after they were reported, then it comes out. Oh, did you guys know Carissa wasn't white? And then it, And then I am excluded from any and on and further conversations from then on in the back room. But it's always, and that's why I always go like, okay, is this one of those times where I don't even have to say a thing and I just have to sit here just to see what's going to happen and where it's going to go? Because I know where it's going to go, but I want to hear it
1: from their mouths.
0: And let me tell you, it's every single time. It's every
1: time. So I'm talking about like a hidden Blackness that's performative, right? Yeah and stereoty- stereotypical mm-hmm. but you're talking about a hidden blackness of like like that allows people to be their fullest selves a hundred percent a hundred percent tell us more tell us more like tell us the spiciest moment where you were like ha, 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 but i'm oh, not white <laughs> i
0: have so many um most recently i had um i had somebody in my neighborhood come out and they were explaining to me how um their parents who they thought were going to be caregivers for their children um we're talking about like oh they're always here all the time you know we have our own things to do what do you think we are you're a mammy and let me tell you when you know we just moved into the neighborhood that we did and um, I'm just sitting here trying to fill out like the neighborhood the people around and whatever and when I heard that I was like okay okay I know I know who you are and um, and it's this, it's it's so interesting to me that um, there is this um, latching on of shared ideals and values that doesn't bat an eye to language like that when it's amongst what is perceived to be a white group. There have been times, um, especially so, I'm a social worker, that I've been in a. a a uh, like a what we call like temporary housing situation and where we're having team meetings and I it was never asked about my my ethnic background or culture or anything like that with the people that I was working with and it would always come out with well you know those people well because you know those people are always trying to get more or those people are problematic and then I just kept, I just remember kept pushing the call. Like, what do you mean by those people though? Like, what are you saying? Like people with kids? Are you saying like people who had experienced homelessness in the past or were unhoused? And then I got them to say what they were actually meaning. And so then when I did my write-up, so I was like, we have an extreme racial prejudice problem. Here are all these examples. And it became an issue because it's like, um, it actually became an issue because they didn't know where this was coming from or how this could have happened, which then stemmed into us getting um, racial sensitivity training and everyone pointing the fingers at the um, uh, the Black women advocates that we had because no one thought it was me because they felt sick because we know we don't have those conversations with these two women. And so then when I got, I was like, no, it was me. It was me. Because that's offensive to me as a person of color, as a person who is mixed, black, white, and indigenous, this is offensive and we need to root out this problem. If you felt comfortable saying it to me, I can't imagine what you guys are saying in your own groups and spaces. And I think and I, and I think um, there is this myth out there specifically amongst white people because I've seen this enough in comment sections that White people don't really care about race. They're not bothered by it. It doesn't come up. And that this isn't anything that they need to deal with in their own personal lives because people of color are the ones who are obsessed with race, who are obsessed with inequality and are obsessed with all of these things. But to them, it's just not something that comes up when literally every single conversation, if you hang out long enough, someone's gonna say something. Whether it is a racial slur, whether it is um, insensitive joke or whatever, or a stereotype, it comes out eventually. And actually not that. It doesn't take that long into the conversation to get there. When there's this shared comfortability and whiteness, all of a sudden conversations get racially charged out of nowhere. So this myth about we don't think about or we don't focus on is absolutely that. It's a myth. And being in these two worlds where people perceive me and talk about that, you know, having not um, people understanding my nuance, but people either being perceived as black or as white or whatever it is, being living in these two different worlds. I have spent my share of time within these communities to know that if there's one group that's predominantly talking about racially charged Um, having racially charged conversations it's absolutely the white groups that i've been a part of.
1: and i mean that's fascinating for so many reasons but the first thing i think about is not the i don't see color people not the i don't see race people not the colorblind ideology folks out here being like race is a thing Mm -hmm. right and what i think to further tangle this up is what whiteness does is obscure the truth right it really obscures the truth and in the united states in particular like white people are very most white people right are very beholden to the idea that like we're not we're we don't have racial issues we don't talk about race Mm -hmm. similar the ways that we act like we don't have a class structure in this society but we do right race and class are very much entangled in the origin story of these here United States Mm -hmm. and so to pretend something doesn't exist but it has literally shaped every facet of our private and public life that actually seems like insanity to me
0: a hundred percent and um it's exactly what you're saying it's it's so woven into the conversations and the way that people think about things that they don't even realize for the most part that it's happening. Now I can tell you for a hundred percent fact that um, the person in my neighborhood who said mammy had no idea that that was offensive, had no idea the context of that or why it is not something or the, you know, the, the trauma of um, black enslaved women having to care for white, uh, babies in exchange for their own children who were often malnourished and, and died and they had to bury into the ground. And to have that language um, being directed at me was lost on her. And I hundred percent know that. And so it's it's not even that there is that there, um, there there is some that is denying that these conversations happen, but also so much of it is ignorance, which is why we keep pushing for, hey, if you are not living, and working on being um, or abolishing anti-Blackness, then you're just going to keep going into these systems, into these conversations, into these thought patterns, because you're not actually retraining your mind to do anything differently than everything that you have been taught. And it's not going to have any red flags for you, because that is a system that you have been indoctrinated into. So it's not going to show up as a red flag. So it's, It is possibly true. And we're talking about that messiness and that nuance that within the system of you constantly having these conversations, it might not even appear to you that you're having conversations about race at all.
1: So this is funny. So what was interesting is I did a workshop last year and I think primarily it was um, white women from the Midwest. Mm. And if you had asked all those women if they were woke or even if you had asked them if they were anti-racist, I'm pretty sure they would have all said yes, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of them asked me, she says, so um, Kina, uh, my kids go to a school that is primarily white. It's a charter school. I think it was a charter school. da 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 She went on to talk, you know, and she's like, so do you think that I should consider my husband or my partner, and I should consider taking them out of the school and potentially um, going into a more diverse da 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 school. And I said yes. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she—that is not the answer she wanted. She wanted to hear no. She, of course
2: not.
0: Of course not. But why would she though? Why would she? She was hoping you were going to say, "Can I give money to to us uh, uh, an organization that helps out?" Can I, what can I do to bring awareness? Um, You know, so back in 2020, uh, Ijeoma Alu had this uh, conversation with uh, workers at Microsoft. And one of the questions that she was presented with was, you know, well, what can I do as a parent in order to see more equity and see diversity in schools in my son's school? You know what she said? She said, quit sending your children to these private white high schools and schools and actually let's build in to the schools that are in your area instead of defunding them and because if you if you invest in your own community schools and you're bringing in money there then they will eventually become a good school so it's not just about writing a paycheck but if you are invested so much in it so much that we're doing the opposite of white flight now, we are investing the our actual futures of our children into these schools, then that tells me that you actually care about diversity and inclusion and equity because these are not under-resourced schools. They're purposely underfunded. They are purposely neglected. They have been purposely redlined. Okay, they're not underprivileged. They were purposely defunded. And to actually put your money where your mouth is would be to invest your life's work, which is your legacy, which is your children into these schools and And bringing in money that way. But nobody, and that person was quiet. No, (laughs) no comments afterward. And she knew, she made this. She's like, I, you know, like that's the answer.
1: And that person was on a hush afterwards. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm and i brought that up because to your point the, the the conversation around school choice that is a racial conversation that has yes, race is. based consequence so mm-hmm. that's what i'm saying like here are places where white families white parents are having conversations and they think that that's divorced from the racial construct and it's not it's not where you're sending your kids to school and where you are sending your school, kids to school has everything to do with racial justice especially mm-hmm if the school district that your kids are going to, to your point, is a place that has literally taken funding. Yes. And, you know, I don't want us to get too much into white flight here, but have literally taken funding from the public school system to create a community mm-hmm. for whites and whites only, right? And, you know, I mean, there's so many different moving parts there. What's also really funny with to me about white flight it's like, y'all can't, y'all can't, un, like, you can't outrun black folks. Like, so there's that part. <laughs> you're you're like, you are like, like a- I mean, where are you going to go? Like, <laughs> <laughs> out you, you know? And I, don't, you know, I don't, you know, this is a whole nother conversation too, but like, for the white people who, are, like, for the black people who are like, nah, I'm moving in, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm-hmm. it's a very interesting dynamic okay yeah. so look we talk about race ethnicity mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. the moving parts associated with this yeah. so a few years ago i gave myself the gift of ancestry
2: all right Ooh. i know
1: I, first of all what a geeky thing to do right you were like what you're gonna do Get you some bread, bottoms? No, I'm about to pay for ancestry, girl. <laughs> I'm about to give my DNA to these white people.
2: There you go, <sighs>
1: I made oh. a choice. I made a choice. But anyway, and so I got the results back, sis, and it was like 93% African. Girl, you couldn't tell me nothing for a month. Like, if you had mm-hmm. met me then, you would have been like, I can't stand her ass. Because I was like, I'm 93% African, all right? Um, And then <laughs> Big I spike. also, I, w- I was just like, I'm balling, you know? (laughs) And then I looked at the other seven percent, and then I was like, okay, no major colonizers here. I'm good. (laughs) Like, but it created this moment for me where Mm -hmm. for the part that wasn't, right? Yeah, it made ethnicity that much bigger. Mm. And so I have been thinking about, and sometimes it's scary, right? Because the truth is even for people who are seeking racial justice. Mm -hmm. The ways that we talk about race too, to eradicate those systems. Sometimes I I don't want to speak for anybody else. I'll speak for myself. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have to like remind myself that this thing isn't real. Race is not real, right? But what makes it complex is that it still has real material consequence in our life. Mm -hmm. And I would love to live in a world where on a most personal level, I can really start to hone in on those ethnic identities,
2: but uh-huh. it's
1: so hard to do while these violent systems still exist. hundred percent. A hundred percent, yeah. Um, and like, what do you do with that, right? Like, what do yeah. I do with like the, the, the 3% Scottish island? Like, I think that like, it's like Scotland or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it's 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 two percent or one percent. I'm not giving you all of my numbers, but there's some stuff that's not like African, and I say yeah. that to say I don't even know how to be curious about that, right? And what yeah, that curiosity means. That yeah, right. You know, and I have another friend and we talk about sometimes she like, what does it mean when race no longer exists? And I get nervous. And I think this is really specific for the descendants of chattel slaves, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because black isn't real either. So people hear me say that whiteness right. is a fake, uh, like an abstract. That's true. Black is, too right it is uh-huh. like it's even as I say it I get like squirmy like because I'm just uh, like somewhere ha- like Harriet Tubman is like let me get my gun you know <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like I'm just something I guess you're upsetting our ancestors now I know it? I know <laughs> hey, Harriet please forgive me hey, Lord. but it's uh, not And I can't even untangle that shit for myself Mm -hmm. because the race construct is so, what race construct is so strong.
2: Mm -hmm. And if that
1: shit is hard for me, yeah. I can't imagine how difficult that is for you.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, so much of my life in America. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna let me digress as to who am I, right? Um, I think it's important to know. So I uh I'm Brazilian. I was born in Brazil. I have dual citizenship now, obviously, but I was born in Brazil. I lived there till I was seven years old. Um my parents, my father is black and indigenous, my mom is white. Um, And so the thing about Brazil, and this is what's important to understand is um, Brazil had the earliest um, arrivals from chattel slavery. Um, They had, they had about, I think 70% of enslaved people ended up in Brazil. Um, Nearly 5 million is the number that they have um, for the number of people primarily from Angola or came from Angola that um, were uh, enslaved and brought to Brazil. And, and also they abolished it. They were um, the last country in the Western world to abolish slavery. A lot of people don't know that. And when it came to creating Oh, no, no, the 70% was 70% of all of the immigrants in Brazil in the early 1800s were enslaved people. That's what it was. So, um, so when it came to creating a national identity, okay, identity was really kind of like this nuanced um, combination of like, you have your race, you have your skin color, which is really important. And then you have your socioeconomic status, right? So then, and then you actually see the same thing kind of happen with uh, all of Latin America and South America where this creates this strata of people where you have the whites that came from Spain or Portugal at the top. And then you have everything that's mixed with whites. So you have um, the indigenous people and then you have um, white mixed with African people and then you have natives and then you have enslaved um, black Africans, okay? And the way after um, abolition that Brazil went to um, kind of construct um, their white supremacy and their racism is they decided that um, we're going to get past all of that through the mixing of people. And so, how it works out is that within one family group, you have the Black one, you have the white one, you have the mixed one, and so forth, and primarily, so much of it was based on skin color. And so, depending on which region you're from, so where I am from is up in um, one of the port cities in Beling, where a lot of um, enslaved people arrived. So, but also, we're a heavily indigenous area as well. Um, and after, I think it was three years after the enslaved population started dying from disease. Um, is when you see a lot of, um, or a lot of the indigenous people start dying. You, you got a lot of the enslaved people come in and start working um, the sugar cane fields that were there. And so we are heavily indigenous and Black in the area that I am from. But you got these pockets of these enclaves of community that still have retained um, a pretty, what they would call like a white European lineage, right? And so what complicates everything is in my family, I am considered the white one, because I am the lightest amongst all of my siblings, right? My siblings are darker, a lot darker and have a lot of futurism as well, have a lot um, heavier uh, African-centered features than I do. And so growing up, I was the white one. And when I came here for the first time in 1993 to a small town in Ohio, and I entered school in a farm town, where we were the only um, people of color for our entire area, it was very clear to me that my family and I were black, all of us, there was no nuance, we were black. And so now I had to dive into my new reality as I am black. This is who, this is how people perceive me. And so then so much of my life was actually my mom trying to, and my father as well, my father as well, I mean, a lot of it was my father because um, he wanted to make sure that we were accepted. He wanted to make sure that we were um, going to connect uh, with American culture, not just because we were immigrants, but now we're people of color, all of us coming in. So we heavily leaned in, and this is what I talk about white passing, into um, how we were perceived. My hair was always straight. Like I remember getting my hair chemically straightened since I was very young um and just the people that there was only predominantly white people in where we lived and how we uh my dad is a linguist so the way that we spoke was had to be very elevated the way um or what he would call elevated like we didn't get um at night time when like people would give their kids like stories to uh, to go to bed like my dad would give us vocab words because he wanted to make sure we were pronouncing it correctly he wanted to make sure that we had a robust vocabulary because he wanted us to be perceived in a certain way and so um, when I come to college and I come to this now having gone full circle to Brazil I'm white I land here I'm black I Maybe am white because I'm being accepted into white culture, and now I'll go to college where I am finding out that like I am dealing with a lot of um, questions about who I am, where I come from, the kinds of people groups that I fit into because I'm I'm too brown for the white folks that I'm around, but I'm also too white for the brown and black folk that I'm around. I do not fit into the Hispanic culture because I don't speak Spanish. I I speak Portuguese coming from Brazil. So it's like the question, and I feel like so many mixed kids, their college entry um question, uh, essay was always on identity and who they were. I just like ask any mixed kid, it's gonna be that. Um, So it's like, who am I? And in doing the journey to find that out and thankfully due to some really amazing Black women in my life, I was able to reach this phase of like, actually I've been suppressing this entire part of my life and who I am that was the missing piece as to who I am and who I want to live into as the fullness of who I am. And so I carry that fullness with me. Yes, I am white. Yes, I am Black. Yes, I am Indigenous. And I'm all of these things. You go, I mean, okay, not to get sacrilegious a little bit, but how I describe it is, I've described it like this to people, to other people. Um, When you think of
1: Jesus... when you think of jesus wait a second hold on because now look now what jesus is we thinking about are we thinking about palestinian jesus yes or, when you think about Jesus, okay just want to make sure god, we
0: appreciate as he's fully god and fully man all at once right but he's still man and he's still god i am all of these things all or at just once just
1: stop the podcast basically carissa is jesus y'all i can't i can't, <laughs> I can't do it uh,
0: <laughs> I know but bear with me. yes, I have these things within me and they they and they represent different things to where I go and that tells me that I am a I am all of these things at once. I am fully all of these things at once. But that does not take away the nuance and the trauma of the specific place that I'm choosing to inhabit. And I think that's what stemmed a lot of these um, conversations that we've had of how do I choose to show up in anti-racism spaces and promoting Um, the dismantling um, anti-Blackness and um, white supremacy in the way that I choose to show up. Because even though I've gotten to to a space where I feel comfortable in who my identity is, my job as somebody who is a partner in Black liberation, because it affects me, is to make sure that I'm not harming my community because I have. And I want to be clear about that. I am somebody who is a experiences the racism and trauma of white supremacy as well as has wielded its power to position myself as adjacent to whiteness because of the um uh the colonial background that i have because of the Um, white supremacy ideologies that were implanted into my home country and into this country, I cannot escape the fact that I have wielded these tools to uh, place myself in adjacent whiteness. And I want to be clear about my past because it's important to talk about why I have chosen to make the decisions that I have moving forward as somebody who has used it to harm and has been a receiver as well of the harm of white
1: supremacy. And I just kind of want to pick up the mic here because what I want to make sure I make clear sis is that mm-hmm. you look at me and you mm-hmm. can tell I'm 93% African. Okay, so ain't nobody <laughs> can confuse me, right? Mm-hmm. Although if you pick up the phone with me, you might think you're talking to yes. a Latino white girl. Depending you know, on like, uh, did you say your name was JoQuana? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> what? But I want to say that even this is how insidious these violent systems are Mm -hmm. because even though I don't appear to look white I'm you know what what I am saying is the violence of white supremacy is so strong that places where I can perform whiteness Mm -hmm. I have performed it and I have performed it in a way that when I look back at it may very well have harmed black people in spaces too. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Because I want to kind of go back to what you were talking about, the elevated speech. And that's so interesting. So I'm imagining a young Carissa with your dad, like pronouncing things like the Queen's English, whatever that shit means. Mm -hmm. When I moved from up north to down south, so many of the black kids were like I got called Oreo and they were like, why are you trying to sound like a white girl? Mm -hmm. So I would spend hours, hours in the mirror trying to blacken my skin pattern, right? So this is me in the mirror, like, you guys, y'all, right? So not only was I trying to sound black, but I had to sound Southern, right? So I had to like double work. And I remember that. I remember like, what can I do Mm -hmm. to convince black kids I am black, right? Yeah. And not because I didn't look black, right? But that the speech is such an interesting place here. And and what does it mean where I show up and I'm articulate and I'm using square like the quotes around that, whatever articulate articulate means. Right. Um, and people are using how I sound like. I'm just going to be, a, I'm going to keep it a buck with you. So I was at this conference a couple of years back and we were talking about Black people code switching. Mm-hmm. And this is me. This is like, I'm divesting from whiteness, Keena. So I'm like, you don't need that code switch. Throw it in a trash can. Throw it. And I I mean, I still am. I actually am of the position of, I don't police Black people in an anti-Black world. I think we should all throw code switching in a trash can. But if you code switch, I get it. I understand why. Mm-hmm. So I was like, we need to throw it in the trash can, right? And uh, for the sake of a story, I'm going to tell you the person who was sitting beside me is a black uh, performer, and they say, "Well, you don't have to worry about it anyway, sis." And I was okay. like, "Well, well, okay." Like I mean, right? Because. Tried, I might. People think I'm close with you, but I'm not. This is I right, really right. sound. Right, hundred percent. Yeah. But there have been times where people have used me, particularly mm-hmm. how I sound, the words I use, to evaluate the other Black people in the space. Yes, that's just mm-hmm. the truth. And even right. though that is how you talk, that is that is your
0: natural form of speaking. And like I can relate to being in the mirror because. The nuance for me is when I then pick up language from, the, from my peers that I've been around, right? Then it's Carissa is putting on a black scent, right? And it's like, these are the nuances that we need to talk about because it's like, if the people you're around make who you are, right? Because you're a tight knit group of people and you're gonna share a culture within your group, right? And it's like, okay, so now as a person who is white assumed, I need to worry about how I sound because I don't want to offend anybody with how I talk now, because that is not the sound that people think should be coming out of my mouth. And I don't want to harm anybody to think that I'm performing. So sometimes I am, I do code switch because I don't want people to think that I am putting on a performance for the group that I'm around. So even that flipped on its head, we talked about like full circle to incognito. Right, I sometimes feel like I need to code switch for the Black people in the room because I don't want them to be like, "Well, why is she talking like that? Didn't she grow up in X, Y, Z? Isn't she from Brazil? Why does she pick up this? Why is why does she why is she talking like that? Wasn't her father a linguist? Yes, all of these things. Yes, but also I have spent the last you know 15 years of my life purposely engaging in community with people who I believe complete me. And I have picked up, believe it or not, a lot of the ways in which we share stories and whatever. And also it is very much in line with the way that my family in Brazil speaks. It's just not in English. And so to have, and, and, but people without that context can make very quick assumptions about what somebody is trying to do. It's specifically in a space where we have social media now where people are constantly posturing images of what they want people to perceive and see and so there you know I don't fault people for doing that because how many gotcha games have we had to do with white performers quietly behind the scenes working on social media sites that end up well that we are all in the impression are led by brown black voices but it ends up that's not the case so I understand the suspicion. And so like, you know, we're talking about code switching I just think it's interesting too that somebody who looks like me a lot of times does it to also not harm other people.
1: Yeah, and it's become, it's like, a, don't get me in a room with a lot of people from South Louisiana because people are like, well, what are you doing, girl? You're not from New Orleans. And so I just want to mm-hmm. like, again, like regional dialect is a real thing. Yes. So it's interesting you talk about Black scent because we live in a, a digital age of Black exploitation. Yes. Right. And I think if if we evolve as like if we're around for another hundred years, okay. <laughs> if we make it if we make
2: it, if, good. you
1: know. <laughs> right? Because you know, those 70 and 80s, those movies in the 70s and 80s that we some people would call those black exploitation films, yeah. I feel like we're in that era now when it comes to like TikTok and digital mm-hmm. media right now. Because Part of the reason why I I have been really careful of my social media creep is because I don't like it. I don't like seeing people who look white with the 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 black audio. Like I'm like, what's happening here? No,
0: nope, like,
1: no. Like, right? So there's so much of that. There's so much digital backflips. I'm gonna we're gonna have this conversation in some capacity. We're gonna talk about digital colonization and what that looks like. And mm-hmm. digital backlash is part of that, right? It's definitely a part of that. And so there's a performance of whiteness that happens for all people, including white people, right? That's just, the, I think that is very true. The question is like, to what extent is it useful for survival versus yeah. power, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I told you a story where I say, the last time I had to be deep into my Karen all right, was last summer. The last time I actively performed whiteness, now I might have done it unconsciously since then, right, so I make space for that, but actively uh, was last winter, and I was having an issue with my car insurance, Mm. all right, and I, the call got escalated, 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 because I was like a payment didn't go through and they basically wanted to charge me like a like a, all the fees. Like you ain't. which let's say this, it costs a lot of money to be poor in this country. So there's that mm-hmm. part. So we think you sent us a bad check. And because we think you sent us a bad check, we're going to charge you a hundred extra dollars for that shit. You can't make that make sense. Like what? Nope. <laughs> That's a whole nother conversation. If you think that I sent you a bad check, why are you charging me more money for shit? Clearly I'm broke. But that's neither here or there. But I actually hadn't sent in a bad Mm check. And so anyway, moving through the ladder, I finally got Brian, Harvard grad on the call. Let's just assume. Mm -hmm. First 20 seconds, Brian is talking all out his neck to me. Just like ridiculous. And so I was like, okay, I can't I can't give Brian my finger in the air. That's not going to work here because that's going to reinforce what he thinks anyway mm-hmm so now what I'm gonna have to do is and it was a it was a it was a trip it was a double whammy because not only did I have to perform whiteness but I also had to perform uh a, a, a high level of and I still don't know what the word for it is but a, a, like a, a blondness at the same time so mm. I had to get super super like oh you're a guy and you know things Plus, I had to mm-hmm. whiten up my voice at the same time. So I mm-hmm. have to let him know I know white right people were dancing with distress. And I had to do both, girl. I had to <laughs> dance with distress and be white. Oh, but but did For, Brian save you though? Baby, the as soon as I did that, as soon as I switched it up, Brian was here to save the day. Oh it completely changed. He went from talking to me like I needed to be in jail to like we're gonna get it together for you, Miss Reed. He called me Miss Reed. Miss Reed. You, you went from ma'am, ma'am, to Miss Reed. To Miss Reed. Mm. And so I remember it got the job done and it got a job real fast. That's what I'm saying. It didn't even take that long. And I got off the phone and I looked at my mom and I said, ugh, that's so gross. I had to do that.
0: Right, right.
1: And That's just a small thing, so I don't want to, because I don't want anyone listening to be like, she's really blowing this up. But I'm just saying, like, that's the difference between like people of color engaging in whiteness versus like white people. Because when I engage it, it's a survival mechanism. I've had to do these things Uh to survive and and acquire the things I need to live my life. And that is, I think, what people don't understand too is we're in a constant state of how
0: of um, having to simultaneously like reflect upon what the actions that we're taking because of we don't because of how prejudice works and how we're going to be perceived and the internal monologues that happen and it have to happen in real time and the um, the stress and the cortisol that brown and black folk are con- and marginalized folks are constantly under to make sure that they are presenting, what the other person wants in a way, especially in a, in a space of like when there is um, trauma or in the space in which um, you need help or something like that, to have to figure out what this person needs to be perceived as a human who needs, who needs something. And I, I don't think people could ever understand that. And you're like, well, how come I can't do this, but you can. And in, until such a time in which I can just live unbothered, in which I can just have normal conversations in which it's not going to matter, then you can't. It's not apples to apples. It's apples to cake. It doesn't even go. Like the fact that you're just doing this. And oftentimes it's to uh, it's, they're doing this for comedy. And again, you're doing this for an entertainment value. And when you're talking about The continual exploitation of Black people by white people for entertainment value versus something that I need to do to resolve an issue in my daily life until a time in which I can just live unbothered by having to have these thoughts about, like, how do I sound to Brian? How do I, how am I being perceived by this person or that person? Then it's never, it's not going to be the same when I do these things for my own survival and you're doing these things for a shock value or for an entertainment value.
1: And just, let me say this clear so that's why reverse racism is some bullshit Mm -hmm. even if we wanted to say that was a thing and it's not it couldn't even be a thing until like you said until we till humanity is extended to all people Mm -hmm. but until that happens no player, it's not the same thing you get what i'm saying Mm -hmm. because people say well why uh it was a recent thing i was in a situation where I made a joke with a white friend and I was like, oh, that's your whiteness showing. And somebody res- heard that and basically responded, well, aren't you being racist against them? I'm like, really? We, we really got to, okay. And it was so deflating. You get what I'm saying? Because it's like, even in 2021, we still have people out in these streets feeling like they've got to defend. And in fact, there's a strategic move happening right now. So for example, uh, this is show Made, all right? I'm going to talk about Three different shows, real fast. Ten Lasso that I super love, and I'm watching on Apple's. Not 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 Apple's. I said Apple's. I'm watching on Apple's. <laughs> I'm like I've never heard it referred to that before, but but Ten Lasso, that mm-hmm. film, the miniseries on Netflix, made, mm-hmm. and there's another show on Netflix, like. My Aunt Carol something, Carol something. And so all three of these shows have white people who are down on their luck. However, mm-hmm. we're going to define that. The maid economically dispositioned where she has to be a maid. Aunt Carol is economically positioned where her Chicago neighborhood is being gentrified. And so she has to like, like change her lifestyle for the gentrified neighborhood. And Tad Lasso, who is an endearing, sweet white man who's going through all these relational challenges. Okay. What I am saying is, I think there's this really interesting move happening that in some ways may be a response to, I ain't calling it a racial reckoning. I don't know what we are gonna call 2020, but it was not that, right? But it's like this, it feels like there's this purposeful return to, y'all gotta sympathize with white people again. White
2: people
1: Right, you know what I'm saying? It just feels like there's a media, like ask being made that, hold on, we have to remind people, Of the people we collectively sympathize with Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. y'all are forgetting who we collectively sympathize for we let y'all pretend to do that in 2020 but let's Mm -hmm. go back to the script and the script remains that the people that we root for by far are white people these are the people who have full humanity right? These are the people who have to consistently be centered. And Mm -hmm. I don't think the writers, the Ted Lazo's, necessarily were like, yeah, we have to really make sure that, you know, I don't, it's so unconscious at this point. Yeah. Like in the, on the, in the, on the Netflix show about the Aunt Carol whose neighborhood is justified, right? It's like of all the people in Chicago that we have to root for, make it make sense, sis. This is the person who's the yeah. most impacted by gentrification in Chicago, a white middle class, like a, a white 40-something old woman. She's the one who's feeling this the most. But you know what, though? That Do you watch The
0: Office? Do you ever watch The yes, Office? Yes, and I love The Office. Okay, okay. So do you remember when Dwight said, um, when he's talking about how to build a business, and he said, you got to get Black people to do it in order to get the white people to do it? And then you got to get the Black people to stop doing it. That's what he says. And that's, there are no truer words because because that is what it is. You got, oh, you got to, you know, how we're doing shows about, you know, or, or the focus is on Black people, down on their love. And then, well, now we got to shift the focus back. Oh yeah, but but we're not going to talk about racial injustice anymore we're done with that thank you for making people care about people who are down on their left because we do have a classism problem in this country um people are uh, identifying again that you know people have it bad but we needed them to care for the correct group of down on their people left people have it bad.
2: Mm-hmm. i and, mean that's the
1: reason why tiktok is is what it is right because we not we need just TikTok. black Every every single social media you present. need black people to do the
0: things, the thing, and then it's stolen. I mean, if I have to hear about Gen Z talk when it's African American vernacular the entirety of the time again, like, but that's what it is. It's that digital blackface again. And when you look at the top sounds that are made by black black creators, and you click on the sounds and you see who the most liked videos using those sounds are, it is not black creators. It is white's creators because social media, again, this is a new form of the digital blackface. The entertainment they it is catered for white people. It is centered on whiteness. It is um their entirety of their um business model is centered on the engagement from white people at the expense of people of color to the expense of black people. So yes. They come out with the new dance, they come out with the sound, and then that gets taken over by white people. And when bad people go, hey, can we get the credit for that? What are you talking about? I made it popular. You don't need credit for anything. Get out my page. Block you. I'm going to report you for bullying.
1: Lord, I just don't even know. I don't even know. Look, we have talked about the internalization. So- (laughs) The last yeah. thing I want us to get to today is yeah, how does this impact our private and or public yeah. practice of racial justice? Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like I'm doing the simultaneous work of um, so I'm gonna answer the checking question too while I'm at it. Yeah, because I tend to answer it at the end of the episode. So what's shaping me the most today is I'm reading this book by Walter Rodney and it's called How Europe Underdeveloped Africa. Mm-hmm. And so I. So I formally started divesting from whiteness in 2016. That's the marker I give myself. And I've been on a journey prior to 2016, like relearning Black history. That started way before 2016. It wasn't until 2016 I started to like unsubscribe from whiteness. But in the process of relearning Black history and being more specific, Black history and the United States and then now I'm starting to like couple that with like learning like history from the continent that is most shaping me because I want to ready myself for what it looks like when race isn't a construct and I want to have something that is a part of my identity that is more than just this part even this part is important and I hate when people minimize this like Mm -hmm. What chattel enslavement has done across the Americas, across the globe, is important to to name and to know. And there is a Black culture that's built from that, Um, but there's more to the story. And so that's what's shaping me the most. And Mm -hmm. so even when I think about my public and private practice of racial justice work, it's hard to do at the same time. So I'm unpacking this shit out of my life. And then I'm providing guidance and support to people to unpack that. Mm -hmm. And in that work, people still feel, or at least it feels like, people still think that I'm supposed to be 100% all the time. And that is a struggle for me. Yeah. Because in capitalism, I'm supposed to produce, 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 produce. Mm-hmm. I'm unlearning what that shit means on a personal level. But, you know, I think it's on Audre Lorde who talks about you can't use the master's tool to like end oppression, but I feel very limited to the masses' tool right. to end oppression. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that's, this is the, that's part of the impact is like only having, like asking someone to build a house, but only giving them an ax. It can be done, you know, or can't it? I don't know. I don't know if I could build a house with an ax alone, you know, I could do a substantial part of that work, but actually maybe no, no, you can't build a house with an ax alone. I need more things. Mm -hmm. And so it feels frustrating because I'm trying to give myself the things I need to be okay and to be safe while simultaneously like feeling very limited because I don't have all the things. Right. And I'm trying to make something out of nothing, which if that's not blackness, I don't know what else is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And even when we talk about like, where, what what part of this, because I, I do stand Carissa behind the, the thought, which is part of the reason why in the United States in particular, if we haven't come further along, and I use quotes around that too, when it comes to racial justice, it's because I feel like we've been having conversations out of order. So let me be mm. more specific. We mm. asked for equality when we should have been asking for equity. Yeah. I'm at the position now where I'm like, ooh, I'm being, ugh. it's okay. Because when I say this, I'm cringing when I say it. So if you listen and you cringe, it's okay. Because I'm staying in cringe. Okay. I'm saying it in it, Yeah, so I'm saying it in cringing Because I'm not convinced that we can teach people to be anti-racist if they still are hinging all their hopes on whiteness in the first damn place.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We're trying to teach people to be anti-racist, but they also are like fully invested in whiteness. So there's that part. And I'm yeah. trying to figure out what the nuance is there. And I'm like, are we having this conversation out of place? You know what I'm saying? Like, so those are the things that I'm examining for myself. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it feels like there's this mighty work to do, but yeah. nobody has the tools to do all the things. And so that's where I'm currently at. Like yeah. I'm aware of the limitations mm-hmm. and, and working through those limitations seem to be really, really difficult. I, I mean, I'm not going to stop you because
0: I think what you're saying is 100% right. Like to get back to that Dwight Shrewsh quote, I think is really interesting that you saw, you know, 2020, 2021 and what's been happening in 2021 that I have seen is the work that Black and brown folk has started around this, specifically the protests and stuff. Now, some of the most recognizable voices that we see on social media are white people. And... The, a lot of the reasons why it's white people who are fronting the anti-racism um, dialogue, specifically in social media and TikTok and in um, and in uh, Instagram and Facebook, is because those are the people that white people are choosing to follow and to take their lead. Right. And so they're amassing these huge platforms and then they get stuck with, well, I have this huge platform that I have, you know, to do something with. So for you telling me to sit down and listen to, you know, a a black and Brown woman or indigenous, like I can't help that I've been given this platform. And to an extent that might be true to an extent that might be true because um, I think it's, so Dante, Dante Stewart, who I've been following for about two years now, he's got a book coming out or he, it is out and it's super, I, I'm excited for it, I'm gonna get a copy. But I remember um, in one of his posts, and it really stuck with me, he said, anti-racism means nothing, if it sacrifices black humanity, humanity, liberation, creativity on the altar of white education, comfort and progress. And that is the thing that has really stuck to me because I think we're reaching this phase of um, anti-racism work that is absolutely being sacrificed in the altar of white education, comfort and progress because of the people that are being given the platforms that they are, or because we, we. Um, the tools that we're working with to engage the people specifically white people in this anti-racism work in this journey in this lifelong um convivial see like I'm saying the word convivial like why am I using that word? It's because that's what I was taught to do, right? Um but the point is um it's weirdly now extremely centered around whiteness and around being uh, white uh, comfort and having these conversations and there have been a lot of um, specifically Black women who have honestly, in the conversation that I've had with them, been like, you know what, I'm done doing this work because I'm tired of telling the same white people the same things. And last year they were willing to listen to me, and this year they're saying, but why are you saying it in that way? And like, don't don't you think you're being a little prejudiced? And it's like it's almost like they have done some work and they are now feeling empowered to talk back and then go listen to their favorite person who's going to make them feel comfortable and guess what that's going to be a white person or a white passing person
1: and um, or i'm going to have to make it a little messy here or a mm. black or brown person yeah who has decided mm-hmm. who palestinian jesus get me through it who decided because if You don't investigate your own internalized racism, xenophobia, Mm -hmm. anti-blackness as a black or brown person. Yes, 100%. Speak on it. You will side with them too. You will. And I'm not, and I'm saying that generally, I'm not pointing any fingers. In fact, let's talk about me. I'm going to point the finger at me. Whiteness chooses whiteness. I have chosen whiteness because Mm -hmm. again, it's in me. Mm -hmm. That's how insidious this shit is. And so Mm -hmm. there's a conversation for black, brown, indigenous folks to have too, right? There's a side conversation about, you. you, we out here in these anti-racism streets, but have you got that out of you? Have you you got Mm -hmm. the junk out of you? Because if you've not intentionally get, and this is what I tell people, if you don't intentionally teach your son not to be a dick, guess what? He's gonna be a promoter of the patriarchy.
2: Mm-hmm. There you go.
1: Literally. You get what I'm saying? So if i have not done the work to intentionally rid myself of anti-blackness, mm-hmm. then guess what? I'm replicating this shit and I'm black. A whole I'm 93% African. Mm-hmm.
0: But listen, but what you're saying, it's not even have I done the work, but am I continuing to do the work? Because it, it doesn't even matter if um because of the fact that the systems in which we resided are so heavily rooted in uh, white supremacy that even if you are doing the work yourself it is impossible to expel all of it from your person from your soul because of these nuances because whether intentional or unintentional you're going it's going to seep in it's so deeply rooted and that is why question that you asked me like in my check-in i was somebody who was asked to speak more about things and then i realized something was happening to me that had been happening all my life which is people somehow in the same way that kind of brazil's answer to racism was well what if everyone was mixed
1: what if everyone was mixed
0: because then if everyone's mixed, then everybody has everything right but the problem is White supremacy actually is emboldened by that because then it starts to create even further strata of people based on color, based on futurism and all of these things. So now I was noticing on social media that I was somehow being preferred because I kind of had this insight into these both cultures. And white people wanted to engage me and listen to me, even though I was saying the same thing that, you know, my, um, my the other people who were on the same platform with me were saying who um, were darker than I was. And I, I, we've had this conversation privately about, you know, some of the experiences that I've had with that in the past. And so I was like, no, I'm not gonna do that. And I actually took a step back from my social media presence because I did not want to take up the space or be a place where white people went to being like, well, she's Black and she is saying this or whatever. Because, and this is the phrase that I use for myself, until such a time where white supremacy isn't insidious in America, I am not going to be the one, okay, to unintentionally harm in particular, a black woman. And I'll share this story real quick. So I was part of this um, group of people who love comic books and it was specifically created for blurs, um, for, for like, you know, black nerds. And, and I just realized that I don't know who's listening, but might not know what that is, but.
1: Thank you for uh, breaking that down. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm trying to be as inclusive, inclusive as possible here. So, and we were talking about Captain America and what he would was was representing and what he um and what his character was gonna do. And I just remember this one woman was consistently questioning so many things that I would bring up and whatever. And um There was one time when I talked about um, somebody's character being, you know, white adjacent or something like that. I just remember this woman came up. She in, in, um, and this was in a clubhouse. So it's only audio. She said, You need to stop talking about that. And I, what I, so I got black checked, right? And so then I just remember getting really quiet. And I chose to leave the platform at some point after that incident because I, And then I had a ton of people reach out to me and they go like, oh, why'd you leave? Oh, that was so out of pocket for her, blah, blah, blah. But I'm thinking here and I'm sitting like, it doesn't matter whether it was out of pocket for her or not. This is a space that I entered, right? That she and other creators had made for themselves to express themselves in this space completely and fully as people who have a shared Black experience. Now I'm coming into this space with somebody who has a different Black experience because I'm not dark. And I have to recognize that. And so there are so many different nerd spaces that I am accepted fully as exactly who I am. And no one thinks anything different. I don't have to be on my garden. I don't have to worry about how I'm sad or whatever that these creators are may not be privy to. And so, so, you know, that might be the reason for why they created this space. So for me to come into a space that specifically for that was created for these people, for um, these creators, right? And to be like, no, I deserve to be here and to fight for my life in that in that group. Why do I need to do that when I can recognize and be humble and be like, you know what? No, I need to sit my ass out of this. And I need to take a space and and sit back and allow them to have their community because they might not be. In a space in their own white supremacy journey that does not see me as trauma. And because of that, if I'm truly an ally, just like Dante said, like if I am truly looking at um, anti racism, I can't sacrifice the Black humanity of people. And yeah, it sucks because like sometimes I do have to think about how will I be perceived to the people I'm trying not to harm. And some people, and this is a personal decision, I'm not telling you how to act in your mixed identity. But for me, if my goal is to uplift and liberate the most marginalized community, if it's a space where, you know what, somebody might feel a type of way about me being there, it does actually mean no harm by sitting out and reflecting on that and letting that space be sacred. It doesn't, you know, I have other spaces I can inhabit as a mixed person, that they do not have access to. And I just have to understand that because that is wielding privilege in a way too, that is also harmful to my community. And that's, you know, and that's why I'm in a space where I am, where I've taken a back seat. I want to continue to help and support um, my friends who are already doing this work and just, you know, had been doing it for a while now and how and thinking about how to work with them and how to support them. Because while I I do have a perspective, and I'm not saying that my perspective is invalid, what I'm saying is that right now we are losing the voice of Black people and women specifically in this anti-racism journey. And we cannot do that. And if it means me as a a mixed white uh, perceived person stepping back, why wouldn't I do that?
1: And there, there are two words that you said that I really that come to mind when I hear you sh- share that story one is accountability
2: mm-hmm.
1: like real accountability and the two is building an intuitive muscle and so people want what's the right thing what's the wrong thing mm-hmm. and it's not that simple we have to build that intuitive muscle and i and i love that you were my you you remind me that there's even a place where for me as a cisgender black woman i'm going to have to fall back right mm-hmm. because the least protected person i would argue in modern societies are black trans fem you know what i'm saying black trans mm-hmm. women and so that's something that i have to constantly navigate you know what i'm saying and like what does it mean to make space not for people's what does it mean to make space for the places where i do have protections and uh-huh. to be aware of that and name that do you get what i'm saying and so when we build intuition in seeking justice for other people as we move along to shared humanity then nobody has to necessarily tell me to to sit down but when you have and when you're actively engaging in whiteness you don't know how to fall back because whiteness doesn't fall back. does mm-hmm. the opposite of fall it back. It don't Yeah, you gotta say like, no, I deserve this thing. Exactly. So again, that's why it's so important for everyone to really recognize where does this shit live in you? Where does it show up with ease? And where are the places where you still have so much room to grow? Oh, Lord. I mean, I feel like I want to either like jog around the block now or like bake a pie. This is how empowered you've left me, friend.
0: Honestly, I'm just reflecting back so many of the <laughs> that we've had in private because, you know, I, it's important to like think about like who are the people you're processing with? Who are the people that you're surrounding yourself with, with that accountability? Because the work at home is the reflections, is the accountability of my own day? How, what kind of conversations am I having? And is that something that's building into my anti-racism life? Right. Because um I just think that there's so many conversations that we've had that have helped me reframe things as well, getting the perspective of somebody else. And I remember when we first started talking, like, I remember you saying, like, you're one of the only like mixed or like white, you know. People that are like willing to, you'd be like, Can I think your brain about this? I'd be like, Sure. And I think it's important to have like all of well Well, new-
1: uh, but part of that too, and again, I just feel mm-hmm. like there are gonna be people who love this episode and then people who are gonna listen to this stuff and be like, oh, I'm gonna cuss them out. Right. Is that, <laughs> I didn't date keep you. You were like, I'm black. And I said, like, Okay. It's like, <laughs> I right. like, did. <laughs> and that's I think we're gonna have to have that conversation publicly conversation. too right yeah. Yeah. because I think I was just like okay you know I was like oh. <laughs> and that was it and I do think if there was if I had done a screening in some mm-hmm. regard that would have created like a wall between us but I didn't do that and that's you get know what I'm saying and that's like I said we could have a whole nother conversation about like gatekeeping um identity later on in life but i also yeah. think that made it easier because i was just like are you black and you're like yeah and i was like okay great so there you go like and that just opened the gates for shared meaning mm-hmm. so you did all the things i wanted you to do and more okay all the things.
0: <laughs> I'm just I'm just happy to be here in the presence of beyonce's internet and your podcast and
1: look look we we out you and I always try to tell people there's a difference for being out there and out you so <laughs> <laughs> you decide where you are are you out there or out you and so we out you we're doing the work and ourselves and our community and our families um and I'm so grateful that I get to be on the spinning planet with you um we don't know if it's gonna up or down but we <laughs> we're here for the ride okay if people what do you want people to be like finally fine like first of all you know that shit was real where we got to a point where we normalized following people right you know that was a white man who created that shit
0: oh following like for more like that that that's just i don't even know <laughs> But if you love
1: people you know okay, y'all, we gotta end this episode. But Carissa and I were talking about the show You on Netflix before we got on the, yeah. the recording. Yes, today. yes, yes. And so much violent shit has been normalized. Stalking mm-hmm. people, following folks. If people want to follow you, then <laughs> you want the people to follow you. <laughs>
0: I, it's you know it's the
1: language for me but okay let me rephrase this if you want people to learn more from you a <laughs> brilliant mind how can they do that
0: um well i do have a public instagram it is um uh, carissa dot explains dot it dot y'all that is my my uh, is what it is um i had like i said i'm taking kind of this break in order to figure out well first of all I just moved so let's be honest like a lot of it has just been I've been in my um in my new place at about six I think it's six months it was a couple days ago so I'm still kind of adjusting to that but also um pandemics
1: there's that pandemic life
0: oh I feel like I
1: constantly have to remind people that like COVID is a real thing so
0: that part that that we can dive into a whole different episode for that too (laughs) I I mean this is great though because like we we already spun off like how many ideas for you know ongoing Mm -hmm. but so you know I do have a presence on that I'm purposely kind of taking a, a mini sabbatical from it to do exactly a lot of those things that I was you know, explaining about um, removing myself from the platform in order to, one, not unintentionally harm any woman of color specifically, and two, to also kind of reevaluate how I want to show up in a space in a, supp- in a more supportive role and just make that known and not um, wanting to build my own platform and such. Uh, I am... And just so people know, too, the spaces where I like to inhabit um, is a lot of mental health, um, being that I am a um, mental health social worker, and also I do talk a lot about um, religion, specifically um, in critiquing um, white evangelical um, Western churches. So that is another lens of um, that I like to filter the anti-racism work that I do. So if you want to get into that and you can follow me on that and hopefully by January is when I'm intending to actually start creating some new content
1: and Carissa I I actually believe that there's going to be people who listen to this who really identify with trying to negotiate their identity Mm -hmm. right and could find some value in sliding in their inbox like I did Mm -hmm. become correct though I mean don't yeah I I feel like I slid appropriately there is a there's a an appropriate way to slide in someone's inbox Yeah.
0: I mean, absolutely. And I just felt so the way that you were so gracious with the way that you um, really were thoughtful about um, asking and engaging about my identity, I thought was, um, I just felt very seen by it. But I also felt like I had permission to share my story with you. Um, And, and again, like I mixed people are also not a monolith. And also, I'm gonna say something maybe inflammatory, but mix being mixed is not a personality.
2: So like, woo,
1: yeah. <laughs> Wait experience. a second! Wait a second! That's right up there with, uh, uh, oh Lord, don't make me messy at the end of this call. Uh, uh-uh. uh.
2: <laughs>
0: I, I, but but I, it needs to be said, okay? And we're all gonna have different unique experiences and if you want to, um, and I know that, you know, I I remember having, asking for help when I started doing the social media thing with anti-racism, uh, some help from other creators that show up in the space that are uh, mixed, and, um, you know, everybody has different boundaries for things. You can ask me questions, like I said, come correct, but, like, ask me questions, like, I'm not going to, like, you know, if I have Maybe they for- should
1: just start with, like, Hey, I heard you on that magnificent podcast. Yeah, by that and then, amazing black woman. And then give Tina <laughs> her flowers. Yes,
2: know,
0: <laughs> If you don't do that, I'm already gonna put you into the other inbox. So you just so you, know, you wanna make it to general, or you wanna make it to so the messages the flowers for kina is a prerequisite
1: that's it that's how you go all right sis enjoy the rest of your day this is blessed so much all right we'll talk soon bye bye
0: Thanks for listening to the Divesting from Whiteness podcast created by my friend Keena Reed. Keena is a diversity, equity and inclusion consultant and educator. She's also the curator behind the Divesting from Whiteness podcast and platform, as well as the anti-blackness reader platform. Divesting from Whiteness was created to start a dialogue that gives folks tools to divest from whiteness and white supremacy culture. You can find it across all major platforms and remember to do good works.